Good afternoon. It's one o'clock on a Tuesday, after 105 to be exact. On a Tuesday afternoon, it's the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. My name is Tilly Karalambas. I'm your host for today, and I'm joined in studio by the beautiful Ranjini Munasami from the Daily Maverick, our chief political writer and associate editor. Um, Ranjini, we've changed the formula a little bit on the show since the last time you've been on. We've been trying to lighten things up, up a little bit. Yes, I haven't been here for a long time. And it's always good to have you back. So yeah, and it's a great pl- privilege because I believe it's Mr. Cliff's birthday. Yes, it is. And uh, cupcakes and coffee abound. Uh, not sure if he's still around, but if he is, we'll uh, <laughs> give him a wave through the studio doors, through studio windows. Um, so, Ranjini, we've changed the formula a little bit. We're trying to lighten things up in the beginning. Um, and we have uh, I usually come up with a little bit of a fact of the day, something random to kind of get us going. And um, did you know that the U.S. Copyright Office recently updated its regulations. Mm-hmm. And uh, it updated its regulations uh, to incorporate the following changes. The office will not register works produced by nature, animals, or plants. Likewise, the office cannot register work purportedly created by divine or supernatural beings, although the office may register a work where the application or the deposit copies state that the work was inspired by a divine spirit. Oh, wow. So basically, if you're an animal, plant, or a god, you cannot lay a copyright claim on uh, the U.S. Copyright Office. Oh, you know what that means? Is that nobody can copyright Jacob Zuma's laughter now. We all can't go, hey, hey, hey. What, because he's a plant, animal, or god? Demigod. Oh, right, a demigod. <laughs> well, it could have been either. Two out of three, I think we could have done. But um, this is off the back of a case that was brought before the U.S. Copyright Office, uh, where a photographer was... Um, in, I think it was the Indonesian forest, and um, his camera got appropriated by a monkey. And this monkey took a selfie uh, of itself. And, you know, I'll show you that. We'll, we'll tweet this pic so you got there. It's actually quite a good, <laughs> great monkey selfie. Oh, it looks like a lead SH selfie. <laughs> Sorry, that's very bitchy. Right, and and this nothing irritates me more than lead essay selfies, by the way. So. Yeah, um, I can think of one or one or two things, but um, yeah, um, so this selfie made it onto Wikimedia, uh, which is a database of uh, media that is published under Creative Commons license, which means that uh, people can reuse the media without having to pay for it. Um, and the photographer claimed that no, the camera was his or hers and therefore belonged to him. And Wikimedia claimed, no, this, the monkey took the selfie, <laughs> and therefore the copyright belonged to the monkey. monkey. And uh, that was uh, where the, how the case came before it, and from that, the U.S. Copyright Office updated its laws to say yeah. no plants, animals, or gods may lay claim to copyright, <laughs> uh, copyright law. Well, that's very interesting because sometimes, you know, um, people are not really appreciative of journalism, so they, they say, like, any monkey with a camera can do that. But... <laughs> It's, it's, it's good to get clarity it's, on it. It's incredible how in focus and how good this selfie is. Yes. You know, it's, it's yeah, no, it's a great selfie. Yeah, I, you, you I've never really need to tweet it. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know you've got a tweet of the week for us that we can uh, we can get onto. Um, but before we go there, because that's going to kind of lead us into the next step and our major discussion for today's show, um, is I've got a tweet, um, sort of a little bit left field, but you know, made me chuckle. Um, was the guy who wrote Hitler's speeches was a grammar Nazi. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And <laughs> uh, that that kind of kind of made my day. I thought that was re- that was really oh, good. Um, you had a tweet. What was what was the tweet that okay, kind of stood out you know, for you this in, week? Uh, in the midst of the commotion on uh, on Thursday in Parliament, um, so nobody for a while nobody really knew what was going on. It was kind of a free for all. And then John Flissmus tweets. Whatever you do, nation, nobody phone Cyril. And I think that was hysterical because, especially with with riot cops being called in and things, you know, and uh, and 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 the South African riot cops being as trigger happy as they are. Um, and I think Cyril Ramaphosa in the mix, uh, calling for concomitant action, would have definitely, you know, inflamed things more more than usual. So I thought that was that was quite, you know. A brilliant tweet in the midst of yeah, all that. Yeah, if you see the mortuary van starting to line up outside <laughs> at, at the beginning of Parliament session, uh, you kind of know it's not going to be a good day for the opposition. Uh, we've just been joined by Hagen. Hagen, thanks for making it. We were worried. I know your hair appointment must have gone over. And uh, it was uh, it was actually a child minding appointment. Oh, but, cool. uh, and a victim of the Travonia Road traffic. But we 
live to tell the tale. And and uh, you, you hear have a childminder? Um, oh, no, that's the problem. <laughs> no, that's the problem. I'm the childminder. <laughs> it, it's okay, uh, Hagen. If it was a hair appointment, we you know we're not going to judge. We don't <laughs> judge. Uh, no, no, I'm. I do keep hair appointments, but just not today. Okay. Uh, we've just done the tweet of the week and a, and a, and a fact. Uh, you just missed it. The, 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 the fact that we had um, was that the U.S. Copyright Office, I don't know if you saw that news, but uh, the U.S. Copyright Office updated its regulations to say that uh, any works uh, that an animal, plant, or god cannot lay claim to copyright in the U.S. Copyright Office. Uh, which is off, which is off the back of a monkey that took a selfie and the photographer claimed it was his and Wikimedia said it was the monkey's. Anyway, the copyright office ruled in favour of um, of the, of the photographer. The human. The human. Yeah. So you have to be the, a human. The monkey to have wasn't able to argue its case apparently. Fair yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a great tweet if I can squeeze one in. Yeah, please. Yeah, I was uh, looking it up during uh, the time where uh, man. Man United were busy losing. <laughs> or and not winning. Not yeah, winning. Just terribly not winning. And uh, there's just this tweet from this guy who calls himself uh, Crazy Kagawa. And he, uh, he says, he says uh, um, Malcolm Glazer must be turning in his, in his grave to see the club he built reduced to rubble. <laughs> <laughs> As if. Well, A, that he built, and, and B, that, you know, a draw uh, is, 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 is turning to rubble. Exactly. You know. uh, although, you know, by Run this, from six is not great, though. No, it's not great. Uh, but, you know, this is what Dave, Dave Moyes is doing. He's fist pumping right now. Oh, and yes. He had a better start to the season. Exactly. I think, you know. Yeah, and, and they had such an amazing preseason. So it's it's actually interesting how... I don't know why we're discussing English Premier League because we didn't have a great night either. No, we there. didn't. Oh, uh, what, what Premier League? What is this Premier League thing you speak of? <laughs> the, what are, they, are they Liverpool fans <laughs> in the house? Yeah. Oh, dear. No, well, I'm Chelsea, so things are looking very good. I'm a, I'm a, there we go. There we go. Blue is the color. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, quite interesting. I don't know if you've, well, you probably haven't, but the um, financial statements of Chelsea Football Club for the last 10 years make for some very interesting reading. Uh, in the last 10 years, well, since Roman Abramovich has taken over, only one out of the last 10 years has the club actually turned a profit. It is technically and factually, well, it's technically insolvent. Uh, the only thing keeping it afloat is the fact that uh, Roman has signed an uh, unsubordinated loan to say that he won't lay claim to the loan that he's given to the club in order for it to to, to carry on operating. So it's actually wow. technically insolvent. Uh, but is that not the case with a couple of clubs? Well, with quite a lot of clubs. I mean, there's a lot of dodgy accounting mm. and creative accounting that goes back. I know Real Madrid, for example, uh, sold um, sold the stadium to uh, the city council for a hugely uh, inflated price and then leased it back. So it's all sort of crazy creative accounting going on. Mm. Um, and it's just inflating um, salaries for salaries players. And, wages. Yeah. and, and it, you know, it begs the question, how long can this go, go on for? It's obviously gone on for quite a long time, but surely there's got to be an end to… Particularly when the country that's doing the best in, in Europe is Germany and they've got the most reasonable transfer fees and they've built an organic development system and, you know, they're Champions League and World Cup champions. So it mm. also begs the question. And attracts and attracts some of the biggest crowds uh, exactly. across Europe as well. So kind of ticking all the boxes without having to go mm. to these crazy extremes. And these sort of millionaire players, and it's it's debatable how much value they're really bringing. I read somewhere that the PSL, funny enough, is in the top 10 or 15 richest leagues in the world. Wow. You uh, wouldn't say that by the performance. Well, yeah? not not well, best quality players. Yeah. Well, that uh, and you know I've seen some of the uh, salaries of the coaches and some of the players, and I mean the, the people are turning down European offers to stay in the PSL because there's mm, actually that, mu- that much money. Probably on the back of uh, of Super Sports um, TV money. Yeah, that and obviously continental TV writers generating a lot of sure. uh, a, a lot of money for uh, for for the league, but it's crazy. People don't really realize that. You know, it's that rich and powerful, but I think it's the performances of the national mm. team and obviously these players feeding into the national team that detract from that perception. Well, that I mean, the quality you league. could make a case for the money in the league being responsible for the lower quality because, as you've said, the players aren't going to Europe to play there. They stay here. It becomes like a small pond. Quality, you know, doesn't rise and players that would otherwise go and, and gain experience playing in Europe aren't. 
and well, that's true. That's suffers. it's not like uh, the the football stars who are coming to the you know the twilight of their career are exactly coming to South Africa to to finish off. You know, like the David Beckhams of the world. It's like la- la- you yeah. know a uh, lazy lout living in the parents' home, and the mom gets to do their wa- laundry mm-hmm. and cook their food. Why so leave? Why yeah. leave? Exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Still <laughs> living in a bunk yeah. bed at thirty-one. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah, but that's that's the point, right? You don't have to work that hard to get the big bucks anymore because mm. previously you had to go and, and and sort of fight for it tooth and nail in Europe you know, like to, be able to get the, the money. Where the Benny McCarthy's, you know, either they go to Europe and then they don't want to play for for Bafana, mm. or they just don't go. Mm. You know, a lot of those. No, they go to Europe and then start rapping or singing or whatever the hell Benny McCarthy did. <laughs> eating. Yeah, <laughs> it was some of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's get back to the uh, uh, the hard news stuff, the the stuff that uh, making the front pages of uh, of the Daily Maverick. And obviously, the biggest story from this last week has obviously been the fracas in in Parliament. You know, the explosion of EFF and payback hashtag payback the money. Um, Ranjini, maybe take us back to the beginning. You know, take us back to the, the sort of the the source of this. Uh, you know, the, this outrage in in Parliament, and you know, and why it was the EFF that was, I mean, it's not unexpected that it's the EFF leading the charge. Okay, so um, you remember the public protector released her report in March. She gave Jacob Zuma 14 days to respond to that report. Mm-hmm. I think it's been like four months. 140. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and um, he kept, he, uh, the president kept on um, uh, postponing his response and said he was waiting for this and that and SIU report and whatever else, and eventually he ran out of time and had to respond. And his response was uh, rather pathetic. It was a 20-page report which basically went through the key findings of the public protector's report, the government task team report, and the SIU report. Um, He didn't speak of anything in particular that Tuli Madantela had found, including that he had violated the Executive Ethics Act. And you would think that a city president would want to defend that, especially, you know, if, if somebody found that he, he has been in violation, you would think that, you know, here's your opportunity. Say, I didn't. Explain it. He didn't even bother to do that. So he submitted this report to Parliament, basically saying, uh, I've noted all this. I don't want to comment about it. And uh, the Minister of Police the new minister of police will determine whether I should, if any, uh, whether I should pay back anything um, to the state for the security upgrades. And that being based on the fact that a he obviously had a hand in appointing the the police minister, but also the fact that uh, what was the argument that Nkandla is a key point, and the key points are, are sort of uh, under fall under the the police department, and uh, also police ministry. Oh, the, the police were the ones who um, oversaw the upgrades together with public work. So he thinks that, um, you know, the bulletproof glass and whatever else, you know, that that's a police issue, not his issue. Except that's not what Tuli Madantela said in her report. She was talking about the fire pool. Well, she called it a swimming pool, mm-hmm. sadly for him. Um, uh, the amphitheater, the cattle crowd, the chicken run. Uh, there was one other thing. I can't think what it was now. Uh, was it the sewage? There was sewage uh, no. plant, or so. There was <laughs> no. some kind of sewage uh, filtration system, or something that was. I remember reading that that was. Uh, oh. That was also part of the well, non. All these th- these other things were undue benefits, and that's what she said. He should pay a reasonable percentage, and she said that he, together with the national treasury, needs to determine what that amount should be, and he needs to pay it back. Except he just disregarded disregarded what she said and said, "Oh, the police minister will decide whether I should pay." Uh, back and how much that should be, if anything. So I, I think this is what set the cat among the pigeons. So, you know, the rest of us can bleat about it and say, actually, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and, and government simply disregards it. The presidency doesn't even bother to respond. The problem was when he went to parliament and had to face questions. Now, um, Julius Malema's question, he had to submit it like three three weeks back. So when he submitted the question for oral reply, he didn't know the president would have already responded by then. So his repl- uh, question to the president was, um, when are you responding to the public protector's report? So the president then responds with one line saying, I have done so last week. Goodbye. And, you know, And that's the end Christian of the question. Yeah. Except, unfortunately for the president, Malema gets to ask a, for a supplementary question based on his response. And that's what started the trouble because Julius Malema then said, excuse me, 
that was hardly a response. When are you paying back the money? When are you giving a proper response to the report? And that started with the mayhem because then the ANC MP started jumping up saying the matter is now before the ad hoc committee in parliament. They will decide it. And Malema refused to accept that answer. He said, I'm not worried about the parliamentary committee. When are you paying back the money? That's not up for discussion. You know, the ad hoc committee that set up a parliament is supposed to look at how the president responded and, and assess that. And assess that. But Tuli Madansela's recommendation still stands. It's not up for discussion. The only way you can challenge that is if you go to court and try and set aside her recommendations, which is what the presidency hasn't done. So what they've done is they've they said, oh, well, when we get to the ad hoc committee in parliament, um, there's the overwhelming majority of members, 8 out of 12 are NC members, so they're going to squash it there. So, you know, that, that that's problem dealt with. So what they're really trying to do is undermine the authority of the public protector by creating... Right, and the constitution and the laws. That, that, yeah, competing that, authorities, whereas she's been created as the Chapter 9 institution that is supposed to be the final word. But And, and the Minister of Police doesn't have the, the legal authority mm. to, to overrule her recommendation. And that's what she... She then, on that same day, that Thursday, while the commotion was going on, she then wrote to the president um, and pointed all these things out. So you have these two things playing out simultaneously. Of course, I'm a... Um, many of people would have seen it live or, or, or saw it subsequently in footage. Uh, it was incredible scenes in Parliament because the, the EFF um, got really, really angry. They got up, they were banging their tables, demanding pay back the money, and they kept chanting. And the Speaker of Parliament just lost control completely. Mm. Um, she started screaming. ANC MPs were screaming. It was complete mayhem. The EFF uh, MPs refused uh, an instruction from her to leave the House. They remained in the House. She eventually called for the sergeant at arms. They weren't able to evict the EFF and eventually she suspended the house. But the key thing here is that the mace of parliament remained in place, which means the session was still ongoing mm. when the session, uh, uh, when, when she suspended parliament. So that mace that sits at the front, it's very important because it means that, the, that you, you preserve parliamentary privilege while that thing is in place. But what happened is that the riot police was called in and they were stomping all inside the house, inside the chamber, while the mace was in place. Now, I, you know, up to, to this morning, we didn't know who would have called them in. So who's really disrespecting parliamentary Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Because, uh, the, the, uh, you know, it seems that the, the speaker, you know, uh, up to this morning, we thought it, possibly it was the speaker's office and surely they would have known the mace is in place. You cannot have... Any member of the public, let alone policemen, armed policemen with guns, batons, shields, stomping around the house. Enforcing yeah. what, really? Yes, exactly. No, yeah. The no noise rule. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the most interesting thing that's happened in Parliament, yes. the most passionate expression of views. And for me, that's what Parliament has lacked, is really passionate uh, yeah. opinion. The, I mean, there's some... T- Two interesting points there, uh, Ranjini. So the first one is, when I saw this happening, what, what a parallel that struck me was the service delivery protests from, you know, from the last year and running up, up to the elections. And, and the fact being that the normal channels of communication, the normal channels of complaint just aren't working. So what you've got to Absolutely. do, and this is what, what everyone who engaged in those service delivery protests realized, was the only way that you got coverage, the only way you got your voice heard, was to engage in something that got the attention of the government, got the attention of the ANC and attention of the media. And unfortunately, that was burning tires, that was engaging in violence. breach of the peace. Yeah, and Mm. and for me, this was kind of a parallel to that. I mean, the the parliamentary parallel to that was that those normal channels of oppositions and uh, and complaints, uh, lodging, and all that just seemed to be tossed to the side. Mm. And the only way... Was was it was ultimate frustration? Obviously, a little bit of grandstanding, and which is I think we can almost accept as part of the EFF's you know sort of media strategy. But I don't know if you agree with that sentiment that there was a parallel to be drawn. That yeah, this is, absolutely. There's no other way. This is what we have to do. Yeah, people aren't being listened to, uh, and particularly the poor people in the in the you know the service delivery context that you're mentioning, and uh, also in Parliament. I mean. Uh, Tony Leon made a point that uh, ANC has subverted the effectiveness of Parliament through its majority, so that you know they can use points of order and procedure and their overwhelming majority in committees to just ensure that you know 
bills get passed um, with just, I don't know, the most basic of debate, and that's really not democracy either. So then to say that banging on tables and being loud is an assault on democracy, you know, they don't really compare. I mean, they just, again, an expression of frustration. The other thing that also struck me was also the role of the speaker in this entire, I mean, like it, it degenerated to the point that it got the main, a lot a lot of blame can be lamed at Balek and Betis, uh, Betis, uh feet because of because of what happened, the right police being called in. And uh, it, it made us look to the role of the speaker in, in, and the impartiality of the speaker mm. in other countries as well. And I think it's the UK where, where effectively once you're appointed, you have to resign as a member of the party that you come from just to maintain that impartiality. And I think... Um, you know, we saw a, a very poor example of impartiality uh, at play. You know, the, the finger wagging, the calling in of the sergeant at arms, the allowing of the president to hide, be, hide behind those points of order and hide behind answers that weren't acceptable to most members of parliament and members of the public, but it almost, you know, allowing the president to, to shield himself from, from those questions. Yes, we must uh, remember that uh, the Speaker of Parliament is also the national chairperson of the ANC. So she, uh, you know, it was quite obvious from her conduct on Thursday that she was there to protect the president and um, make sure that he's not, he's, he doesn't face the kind of heat that the, the EFF wanted. And, um, you know, the thing is that President Zuma, since he took power in 2009, has been so accustomed to going to Parliament, just saying whatever he wants to say, and then leaving. He's never been challenged this vigorously before. Um, Lindiwe Mazibuko was uh, in the in the last term. She did try her best to hold him to account. But the thing is that the the processes of Parliament just doesn't allow it. If the President refuses to answer or dodges an answer, there is absolutely nothing within the rules that compels him to do so. So opposition parties have little uh, option or, you know, they, they, there's not much they can do if if he, do, he is evasive. So what happened is that Julius Malema and the EFF then stepped over the mark by shouting, no, answer, answer when you're going to pay back. Um, and I think this is why we've now strayed into uncharted territory where it's clear that the EF breached the rules of parliament by not following the orders of the speaker, but that there is some justification for their actions because it is clear that the country is demanding accountability on Kandla and uh, we're just not getting it. Um, there's all sorts of processes that are circumventing normal processes and the person I think who is consistently pointing this out now is the public protector. She's pointed it out in a letter she wrote to the president which was carried um, in some uh, um, media over the weekend and it's, the letter has been subsequently uh, released. But now the NC is attacking her for doing precisely that, for pointing out what's wrong with the, with the president's response. So you've got two fronts basically. You've got the EFF with this very loud, boisterous, Brash. yes, uh, um, you know, a protest in Parliament, and uh, Julius Malema was in court yesterday. He was saying, "You ain't seen nothing yet. We're still coming back with, w- w- for more." And then on the other hand, you've got the public protector going a, a very legal way. In you know, she speaks in all this legalese, um, and she keeps on pointing them. Listen, you're you in danger of breaching the constitution. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're going to, um, you know, uh, stray into territory where the, the rule of law is going to be disrespected. You are encouraging criminality and illegality by conducting yourselves in this way. And this is why now you found, find the hound dogs are out. You know, the, the ANC and the SACP is now attacking the, the public protect. Mm. They claim she leaked her letter. They claim that she is the one in breach of the constitution by writing to the president, she's not respecting parliament. So, you know, the, the, then you've had this extraordinary thing that happened this morning where the um, security cluster ministers came out and announced that they will be taking tougher action against uh, whoever, you know, behaves in this way in parliament again. Now, that is totally unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I, they, they are, they, they're using terms like law and order. You know, in Parliament, it's it's completely bizarre. And fascism and drawing yeah, like and rebels. analogies. That's really they, they're calling the EFF rebels when mm-hmm. they were democratically elected. 1.1 million people voted for them. You can't get away from and that. And for me, um, if anything, they're increasing the the public um, interest in Parliament, which has waned because being a, a rubber stamp Parliament mm. 
so that effectively the country is being run out of Lutuli House. And if you're actually managing to take the, the ANC on head-on in Parliament, there's a lot more eyeballs on, on Parliament and people become aware of that. I haven't watched like the parliamentary channel in, in years, <laughs> and now it's riveting watching. You know, so it's almost making Parliament more re- more relevant, even mm. though they might be bending the rules a little. Well, that's what uh, Julia said: is that they they didn't know how to react because this is the first time they're actually having opposition, uh, or you know, or uh, you know, uh, opposition that's willing to stand up and you know cross those lines because the the normal normal channels just aren't working. Mm. Um, Peter Foss wrote a, a column today in Daily Maverick uh, comparing the response of the government, stroke ANC, to Tuli Madoncela's uh, letters as the way an alcoholic would respond to a family intervention by pointing <laughs> out by pointing out the faults of the family man- members who are overstepping the who line. Are you to, <laughs> you to stop yeah. Yeah. Who's, who are you to say I have a problem? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was that was quite a great analogy because I mean the the sort of knee jerk reactions, the the um, sort of personal attacks, um, you know, the, and a lot of them without basis and referring to law and and ways that she's overstepping the mark. Meanwhile, you know, if anyone really knows it. You know, to the T, it's 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 probably her. And they and they're basically saying it's a personal crusade on her part. You yeah. know that it's, so they they're accusing her of not doing her job. Uh, you know that she's got some personal vendetta, which is absolutely. Or crazy. it might be that she's doing her job too well. <laughs> yeah, and not towing the line, which is in a lot of places what is people's job description. Your job description here is to toe the line. The and, part, and rubber stamp what what we want to have for the party line. Um. Ranch, we, we spoke about this earlier. I mean, this thing is is going, you know, it's crazy. It's consuming the media. It's consuming the front pages. Uh, and in Kandla is this is this massive uh, topic. And um, and then we, but we compare that to something like Marikana, for example. And we talk about this often about Marikana fatigue. Uh, you know, and you know we, you know, credit to our editor, he keeps going and keeps pushing it because it was this massive event this you know this huge tragedy and then we compare that against something like Nkandla um where yes it is a big thing and but money is being misspent and power is being mis- is being abused but Marikana claimed the lives of 34 people and depending on on you know depending on which documentaries you watch and what coverage you follow um were you know we could say that they were basically slaughtered um and it was a massacre and but the public attention and the media attention on Marikana just we can't compare the two, and I guess it's you know um, Parliament and obviously this grandstanding that's happening keeps it in the limelight. But why why is this? It feels like it's it, there's a big disparity between the two. Is it because we can pinpoint in Kandla to 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 the foot of Jay Z's uh, um, empire and him directly and him uh, he he can you know he needs to be accountable. And Marikana, it's quite difficult to find out who exactly is it Cyril, is it the Minister of Police, is it, you know, uh, Susan Chibangu, um, is it because it's so difficult to find out, what's your take on why is this the disparity between the two, or perceived disparity, maybe it's just myself. To answer that, I think the question to be asked is what is the value of human life? We know the value of Nkandla is 246 million, but what is the value of the lives of those 34 mine workers? And I think the answer to that is relative to who you are in society. If those had been 34 lawyers, okay, maybe lawyers wouldn't have been the bad example. (laughs) So, I I mean, you know. 34 Generations Act. Yeah, exactly. We've lost them too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I mean, all, all the, is that they, they stopped acting, you know, they didn't stop living. You've touched yeah. on a good point about it being a, cl- a, a class based uh, issue. And if you're going to really question the, the, the issues around uh, Marikana, it's, it's really about structural economic systems that, that are at issue. Like, is capitalism working? And it's really deep issues which f- forces, you know, the whole of society to. Question itself, whereas uh, whereas in Kandla is is very much a cut and dried case of uh, misspending. Yeah, but the 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 thing also is that you know mine workers, the, the Marikana happened far away from our lives. Um, it's easy for the middle class and opinion makers and tweeters and the commentariat 
to uh, distance themselves from what happened at Marikana to say, you know, it's it's people who are, and uh, by the way they were on strike. You know, there were, there's always this argument that weapons yes, and exactly opportunity to spin your way out. So, th- there's always a way to you know to distance yourself from it and say, well, you know, it's 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 happened. You know, and there is a commission of inquiry and maybe we should wait. And you know, th- that's what's really really unfair about it because. You know, they, those are human beings. They have families. They were breadwinners. They are the people who turned the wheels of this economy. The, South Africa's economy depends largely on mining. Um, you know, and those people, the diggers of dirt, are the, you know, they, they, they live in horrible conditions. Um, they, uh, they do really, really hard work. Um, but, you know, it's difficult for us to be able to empathize with their plight. Now, I think the difference with Nkandla is that it's it's almost like a lasting monument to corruption. It's there, you, you mm. know. Um, it's permanent. The, it's it's permanent. Yes, and I think you know the level of arrogance around Nkandla and the way it's been handled. You know, like for example, the fire pool issue, where for a long time, you know, that stupid issue like that. You know, obviously a swimming pool. What the hell would you have in the middle of mm. an estate? You know, and you had the national police commissioner trying to argue. That no, actually, it is a firefighting mechanism because there's no stairs in the pool. So you know that is that's what. <laughs> there's a diving board. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I think that this is what has caused this much of anger and annoyance about it is because from the beginning it's been a duck and dive mission to uh you know to prevent any form of accountability about it, and I think the level of overspending has also been you know just so outrageous, um, you know, 246, basically a quarter of a billion rand. Just It's not even on building the house. It's just upgrading it, um, you know. So I think this is what has, has caused the, 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 the issue to be as inflamed as it be, and with why it remains on the agenda. And I think this is also why the opposition can keep on banging on about it, you know, to their heart's content because – it is an issue that re- remains relevant. It is the top of the national agenda, and the NC can't run away from it. Do we need to change rules in Parliament to allow for a more effective opposition to take place? Do we need to have an impartial speaker? Do we need to, in this whole hiding behind, basically what I mean, it probably started from Tabo's era in terms of, you know, removing the powers of an effective opposition within Parliament? Do we mm. need to look at changing those? those rules within Parliament? Well, I think Balega Mbete is a particularly bad Speaker of Parliament because mostly because... A bad she, choice? Yes. Because she can't, you know, she, she she's not able to control things and she lets her emotions get the better of her. I think Max Sulu was much better in that mm-hmm. position because he's very level-headed and, you know, he is able to call to order anyone and tell everyone to get off on either side of the house. So that show, what that shows you is that it's not so much... Um, you know, the, the, the rules rather than the personalities that are chosen. <clears throat> and the NC, I think, has learned his lesson with Max Asuli because he was, uh, you know, quite an independent person in the way he conducted himself. He, in fact, allowed the opposition to, to call for that ad hoc committee in the last term, which the NC was extremely angry about. So, um, with regard to the speaker, I don't think, you know, that there is a need. I think that, you know, that there just needs to be more uh, of an effort to choose a better personality. And, and respect for the institution. Yes. Like if the speaker sees that role as a calling, like I'm really doing something important for the country and and perform that role. Rather than respect, being a party hack. Like a de- deployee, like, like you basically a cadre who's been deployed to be the speaker. I mean, that's not the right way for mm. it to be seen, but it seems that way. Yes. So um, with with regard to the rules pertaining to debates and question time, I think there's definitely room to maneuver there. But the bizarre thing is that the NC is, um, is now agitating for change in the rules, not to address that issue of the lack of accountability, but instead to make sure there's more of a clampdown. Uh, from what mm. the uh, the security cluster ministers were saying this morning, you know, they, they want to more of a clampdown in parliament to, to rein things in. So they're going completely the opposite direction. They don't see what the problem is here. Mm. They don't, they're not reading the public mood. I, I was do they have, do they have authority over parliament? No, they don't. This is, I mean, the that's ju- the judicial arm and we're talking about the, the legislative arm. Isn't there a, a measure of 
independence. N- not judicial. In Judiciary is to do with the, the, the so executive the, arm. Ex- the, the, executive executive. arm the, the executive is exerting authority over the legislature. Right. Which is completely wrong. So that is why one of the journalists at the press conference this morning looked at that whole table of uh, security cluster ministers and said, is this a coup? Because that's what yeah. happens in a coup, yeah. is that the executive takes exactly. over, you know, the military, because the minister security of defense yeah, yeah. Yeah, was the one running that press conference, you know, dictating to parliament well, what should happen in parliament. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they call in the Amabarete into parliament, you know, to cock their guns every time the opposition wants to ask a hard, the president a hard question. Um, you know, that, that's, they're not reading the public mood. And I, I, I was quite astounded by the defense minister this morning when journalists were trying to explain to her, but what are you doing? You know, this is uh, outrageous. Um, why are you imposing this? this is, these are heavy handed measures. And she starts lecturing the media to say, you know, this was wrong. Um, this is not supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it disrupted peace. People were banging on tables. Excuse me, children in classrooms bang on tables now and then. It doesn't mean that you send in the I riot police. It's just vibrant democracy mm-hmm. at work. And such an overreaction is doing infinitely more damage than people banging hard hats on tables. <laughs> I think something that epitomized the, the, the perception and the lack of reading the public mood was um, the uh, presidency's response to, to what had happened uh, in parliament. And the fact that Nkandla wasn't mentioned once in the in the actual in the initial response, and basically just went on about the disorder and the misbehavior, mm. and, and nothing about the fact that you know that Nkandla w- w- was mentioned in the response, or the fact that the the questions weren't answered adequately to members of parliament's uh, expectations. I, I think the other frightening thing is, um, you know, the NC Secretary General Gwede Mantashe is an extremely powerful and influential mm. person. You saw in Gupta Gate there was. Everyone hung back after the plane landed, but as soon as Gwede pronounced on it, you know, you had the whole security uh, cluster and government jumping up and down to, to deal with the crisis. So what he, well, he did immediately on Thursday afternoon, he went out on radio and said, why is the state not acting against these people? They should have gone in and arrested. Now that shows an uh, astounding ignorance about how parliament works and par- the rules of parliamentary privilege because the constitution, not even any our law, but the constitution spells out that no member of parliament can be arrested in the house for anything they stay in, say in the house. And that's what they were doing. The EFF was saying, pay back the money. You can't arrest them for saying that. But he was demanding on public platforms from Thursday, and he's got a press conference at 3 p.m. today. I can bet he's going to say the same thing, that the state should have taken action. And the, I think that is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I mean, doesn't it feel like we're headed down this slippery slope? I mean, we're talking about changes being um, proposed to make it even more draconian, or to make it even more in favour of, of of the sitting uh, of the sitting uh, government um, to effectively nullify any sort of constructive opposition mm. in Parliament. I mean, it sounds like a scary slope. It's terrifying. And what it risks doing is is making Parliament even more irrelevant. Mm. And with the, the EFF being a bit of a little pressure valve for the poor who might f- not feel re- represented, that they do have a voice in Parliament, if you silence that, that leaves the streets as the only well, yeah, outlet. The only, only outlet yeah, right. And then we're back to, you know, 1988, you know, where Parliament was irrelevant and, you know, real democracy and, and expression was secured on the streets. Um, just touching on that, we've just had a tweet come through um, on the Cliff Central line. The ANC are petrified because someone is talking for the people and standing up to their mafia organisation. So I guess in in a little bit more of a, a, a little bit more of a direct terminology, mafia organisation mm. is that that's why someone is standing up, someone is standing up to their bullying and not taking the crap basically. And and it's scary to think what you say is that if we if we close off that channel, then then it's, it's, it's anarchy. Basically, is is the next is the next yeah, is the and, only option. And then, ironically, then you start getting like fascist uh, tendencies within the ANC if they're gonna if they're gonna bully their way to getting what they want. And uh, one hopes it doesn't come to that. Um, Runch, you said uh, Julius was quoted as saying, "You ain't seen nothing yet." <laughs> um, 
you know, what's the next step for them? I mean, what are the, you know, what do you expect them to come out? What is the next thing? Are they, are they going to keep flogging this uh, this till they get the, the answer they're looking for? Well, I think this issue like landed in their laps because you know, although the NC is accusing that whole thing on Thursday of being pre-planned, you could see it evolved as it happened. I don't think that, you know, that the EFF anticipated, you know, that, that, that situation would reach that extent. I don't think they intended on having a sit-in in parliament and police being called in. I think what they had intended to do is put pressure on the president. I even think pay back the money happened naturally. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't spontaneously. look... Spontaneously. Yeah, it ha- you know, it happened spontaneously. Um, after uh, Julius uh, asked the president the question and that's when, you know, the, the chant evolved. But I think, you know, for them, this is a campaign now made for them um, because they've got, uh, you know, political capital which wasn't there before. Um, they're getting support from constituencies that were totally opposed to them. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is that the Democratic Alliance, although they are the official opposition, I think that they, like, almost overwhelmed by the situation. And from that Thursday afternoon, they adopted more like a, a fence-sitting um, kind of position on it where they mm-hmm. said the speaker was wrong, but the EFF was wrong. But well, Their th- behavior was wrong. Yes, yeah. you know. So, the, I, and I think society has moved past that point now. I think so society is demanding answers. The DA is not mm-hmm. able to put enough pressure on the president and the ANC to get those answers. And I think only the EFF is able to do in that. In the way they've stolen the DA's issue. Yes. They, they, that was their pet yes. issue was yeah. in Kandla. And now EFF have basically taken it over. In fact, the original complainant on uh, to the public protector was Lindy Wee That's right. Yeah. So, but now the issue is completely gone from the DA. They've lost mm. it. And, and the EFF is the one that's pioneering it. Now, they are the champions of uh, the Nkandla issue. So, look, I don't quite know where they're going to take it. But I think what they know is that the more mayhem and the more that they they um, exist outside the, the confines of parliamentary rules, um, the more the ANC is going to re- react illogically. And that's where they want to push it. They want to force a crisis on Nkandla. And I think we are heading for a constitutional crisis with the face-off between the president and the public protector on one hand. And I think you're going to have another one where there is going to be this attempted clampdown on a political party in Parliament, which is also unconstitutional. So you're going to have a double constitutional mm. crisis all around in Kandla. And, and as well as the prospect of a street fight, which is basically the EFF's sort of uh, um, approach here, is, mm. is that you've got this legal channel that Tuli and the Public Protector's Office is taking against against the Kandla issue, and then you've got this like street fighting approach. Which and there's the another front, obviously, within the ANC, because there are a lot of principal people within the ANC, and it's not a homogenous... Um, block and there's got to be a point where people within the ANC start asking whether it's worth, you know, risking everything just to protect the, the president. Yeah, one ANC veteran was saying to me the other day, you know, this issue for for people like me, meaning people like him, is like asking which do you prefer, Israel or Hamas? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you say? There, there is no lesser evil. Mm. Um, you know, how, how do you try and justify uh, anything? So it's it's best. To, it's best to just keep quiet and, um, you know, just, but I don't, I, I think it's going to come to a stage where, you know, more people are going to become extremely restless in the ANC. Um, and you've seen this already, you know, that there is discomfort. You, and the, the ANC in Gauteng paid a heavy price for it in the election because in Kandla was a major issue in the middle classes in, a, in Gauteng. But I think the more the ANC misreads, the mood in society, and the more the ANC continues to think its role is to defend the president uh, on this issue, it's going to alienate its constituency, it's going to alienate its uh, uh, traditional supporters. And um, I don't know when, at what point, they stop and say, uh, let's change tactics, this is not working. Well, it seems to me there can only be disastrous circumstances for towing that line, both for the ANC and for the public, because the ANC is going to lose credibility, it's going to lose support, and we're going to lose institutions and sort of the the channels and and the ability to to have our voices heard and to be able to stand up against something that is as corrupt as as in Kandla. Mm. So on both fronts, we you know, there's just destructive outcomes of what's going to happen. Um, Our time's almost up. Uh, I sound like a a shrink on the the couch (laughs) here. But um, I want to ask you guys two questions each. each. One is, what do you think is going to happen and what would you like to happen out of this Nkandla 
situation that's happening. So, Ranch, okay. maybe you can go first. What do you think is going to happen? And what I think is that the NT is just going to become more and more illogical uh, in the arguments, and they're going to try, uh, you know, from the NT side and from government side, they're just going to, you know, go completely you know, militaristic about this and try and clamp down on the, on the EFF and, uh, and, and hit out at the, continue to hit out at the public protector until you're facing a complete and utter constitutional crisis. What I think should, they should do is say, Mr. President, just answer the question and just pay back the money. You know, mm-hmm. that's what should, should happen. Even if he pays like a thousand rand and say, okay, I'll pay a thousand rand now and like, We'll, we'll do it later. It's an acknowledgement that something went wrong and a commitment to, you know, say, okay, let's move on from this issue. Until they do that, until they, they have, because he's not going to come to that realization on his own. Uh, until the NC says to him, Mr. President, just let's move on because you are destroying this party, you're destroying the institutions of government, in, in breaching the constitution, let's please just deal with this issue. And the only way to deal with it is to respond properly to the public protector's report and pay back the money. I, 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 I certainly hope that at some stage the reason prevails and that happens. I don't see it happening, though. And just to clarify, by payback money, we're not talking about the whole 246, no, no, no. 246 million. It's all just those which pertain to security. And it's not even... The non-security the, upgrades. It won't even be that much. No, it won't. Because it's for the... the you see, it's the chicken run, the amphitheater, the swimming pool, it's the cattle million. trial, and whatever. I think those things came to 20 million. 20 but, million, yes, But right, she didn't yes. even say pay 20 million. Yes, she said a reasonable little. percentage. Mm-hmm. So it could be, say, one million. Yeah, I think she also left it open to say, well, we know there were a lot of inflated prices there. Um, she almost yeah. gave him a little get out of jail. Yes. It's like, yeah. pay even just a token amount, or, just something. Yes. Well, here's a suggestion. Let's charge the Guptas for using Vartikov, <laughs> uh, you know, for, exactly. and let's charge them, you know, 10 bars and we can use that to pay back the money. <laughs> and let's donate them to Lesotho after that. <laughs> Hagen, what's your take on what should happen and what you think will happen? Um, well, I think I agree with Ranjani. The ANC's got to accept that the principle is valid. There was misspending and the president needs to, needs to pay something back. Unfortunately, it's become such a head-to-head conflict that they don't want to be seen to back down. So what they might do is kind of finesse it, block it for now, and then maybe – a few months down the line, there'll be some like concession. But if that doesn't happen, what you're really seeing, I think, is a an assault on democracy in like in every party almost. Like you find like the ANC is being run by authoritarians, the DA is, the EFF is, and there's almost scope for some political realignment within the next five years. And one even looks maybe somewhere like. I don't know, Ivan Jim or somewhere that there's scope for someone who really makes democracy the, the keystone of their, of their platform because everybody's paying lip service to it. But the more you look at it, there's, um, it's not being, it's not being protected. I guess the, the scariest thing and the biggest thing here is that we don't end up with results or with, um, circumstances that end up negatively affecting our democracy out of this. You know, so these rules that are being proposed, the, you know, to be able to come in and remove, you know, members of parliament, for example, just by voicing opposition in the, in the house. I think, you know, breaking down those democratic structures, uh, and, and continuing to move in that direction is probably one of the scariest things that, that could come out of this. And that for me is the biggest, the biggest sort of worry out of, out of something like that and seems to be a, Seems to be like we're heading in that direction. Yeah, you know, um, th- uh, my piece on uh, y- uh, yesterday was how low will the ANC go? You know, mm. will they adopt this scorched earth attitude? We just break everything. Mm. Um, you know, and the, and the other thing is that there's so many unintended consequences that flow from this. Um, this morning I was watching um, uh, the Minister of Defence, Mapisa Ngakula, uh, you know, speaking on these issues, and I just thought. You know, what are you doing? She was running that press conference like a domestic dispute, you know, arguing with journalists. And she's supposed to have a certain air of authority as a minister of defense. She's basically running our uh, Mm. security forces, you know. Uh, God help us if we like ever at war. And, you know, she goes Mm. and like stands on the border and starts 
you know, Lose yelling. Your temper. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like, you know, this is Women's Month. I, I probably won't get a, a chance to talk about this again. This is Women's Month. Um, and I think it was an opportunity for women in different levels in society to display, you know, how, how far the gender project has mm. come in South Africa and what women are achieving in society. Today alone, you had Mapisa Ngakula in, uh, in the, that weird briefing in Parliament. You had Susan Shabangu at the Marikana Commission. You had Faith Mutambi uh, in the com- Communications Portfolio com- uh, Committee. All of them, their performance was putrid. It was a mm. disgrace to society, let alone being an example to young women hoping to aspire to power. You know, mm. so uh, what are they doing? Do they not see? I mean, I, I wish that each of those women can play their, their, those recordings, you know, in the, in the privacy of their own homes, play back those, those recordings and see how the rest of society see them. Because they, they are absolutely shocking in their behavior. They are there in order to protect power. They make the most ridiculous arguments under the sun. And they abuse the positions they are in in order to keep the ANC, uh, to defend the ANC. That's their only role. Their role is not advancing women. It's not, uh, you know, doing the jobs they are there to do. And I'm sorry I'm having this rant, but, you know, well, I'm, uh, <laughs> but that's my say on Women's Day. But haven't you month. just described uh, almost every complaint about the ANC Women's League? You've, you basically would have taken that, that, you know, that little, you know, soliloquy on rant, <laughs> um, and, and, and said that, that, that you were describing the ANC Women's League yes. and everything that's wrong with the Women's League. And, but, you know, you now, you now picked some senior people within government. Uh, who epitomized that? In, I mean, uh, this was just in one morning, you know, let alone what happens, you know, uh, every day, things that we see and things that we don't see, uh, you know, that, that's been happening. And th- these were just three very public p- platforms, very important issues in society, mm-hmm. and they were just failing hol- horribly at it. And no wonder the NC Women's League says that we don't have anybody worthy of being uh, a woman president in South Africa. It's because mm-hmm. of these kinds of examples of people. I wouldn't, definitely wouldn't want them. Any any of them to be running our country. Paula Brigg has just uh, tweeted that uh, your show is like a breath of fresh air, and I think that's because of our guests here today. <laughs> I'd like to thank Hagen Engler and Ranjini Munsami for coming in and joining us on the Daily Maverick Show. I'm going to play out. I'm going to try and play out with um, uh, a song, Wrecking Ball, um, but not the Miley Cyrus version. This is the Zar News, the Zar News version of uh, of Wrecking Ball. This is. Tuli Madoncela in Wrecking Ball. Uh, and uh, I hope you guys, if you get the opportunity to go and check it out on YouTube or the Zion News site, go check out Tuli Madoncela Wrecking Ball. It's absolutely brilliant. The guys from Zion News are brilliant. Uh, and here we go until next week. This is goodbye from the Daily Maverick Show.